Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The title for today's sermon is Iron Sharpens Iron. When I was a child, I pronounced iron, see si iron man. But as I grew up, it's iron, and uh, it's taken from one verse, verse 17. It's a proverb. In Filipino, it's, it's known as salawikain, wise sayings. And um, wise sayings are, they, we have to listen to wise sayings so that we may grow in wisdom. Now, wise sayings exist because many have confirmed it, and it has lasted through time, that these wise sayings are good to apply. And the Bible has this section, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, that give us a collection of wise sayings. So iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. In some translations, it says, so one man sharpens another's countenance, or facial expressions, okay? It sharpens their facial expressions. But most translations, if you, if you have a comparative, and you can do that on the internet, comparative study, or you put the different verses together from different translations, and each translation, there are a group of scholars, most of them, there are a few who just only one person did it, but most of them that are reputable have a collection of scholars that counter-checked one another before they published it. And, um, of course, we're using either the NASB or the ESV, the English Standard Version, or the New American Standard Version. Now, every member of the body of Christ, which includes genuine believers in our church community, take note, the body of Christ are those who believe in Christ, and I'd like to say genuinely follow him. If you believe him, you genuinely follow him. Not just believe that he exists, not just believe in the information, but you have faith to follow, and that includes repentance. Well, every member of the body of Christ, you and me, should grow. Another way of saying it is that all members, I'm trying to connect it with this verse, should sharpen themselves in their spiritual and earthly responsibilities. So there's the part that we have those spiritual disciplines to, because we are spiritual beings. As we build this relationship with God, we understand that we are spiritual beings, yet we also know that we are earthly beings as well, because some of us, most of us have children, or most of us have parents still, we are not orphaned yet, and even if you're orphaned, if somebody's taking care of you, then somebody's acting as your parent, maybe not in a hundred percent way, but partially, uh, there's that part that you are responsible on the earth. And being a citizen of this nation means that you have earthly responsibilities. Now, on the spiritual side and on the earthly side, this verse definitely applies. We should grow and we should sharpen ourselves, but yet one member cannot do it alone, as a sword. Now, 
The verse did not say sword. I'm just using sword, okay? The, the, the verse says iron. Like a sword cannot be sharpened by itself. So one person needs another so that, that we can be sharper. We need another to be sharper. So, as I mentioned today, we turn to one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, to give us some inspiration about people sharpening others. And we shall discuss three perspectives and explore some applications. Now, there are three perspectives. I mostly lean to the first perspective, but the second perspective, the first and third perspective that I'll share to you, but the second perspective is something that when you're searching for truth and knowledge, you also want to get the opposing perspective. And that's what it means to study. And, and, and especially if you enter into scholarly work, you cannot just choose one perspective that you like. You have to also look at the other and try to be as fair as you can be, yet acknowledging your biases and your background. Now, the first one is a partner or friend. One perspective is partners or friends who learn together. Iron sharpens iron. They learn together. So imagine fellow soldiers who will fight side by side without guns yet. Imagine the swords and spears. If they will fight side by side, every soldier reminds the other soldiers to sharpen their blades and prepare for battle. And we, they usually sharpen their blades through a whetstone or touchstone. Now, where does the iron come in? I thought it was blade to blade, but that would take very long. Blade to blade is simply putting it back in shape if it is bent. But it's actually an iron file that really sharpens it. Or a whetstone or touchstone which is tiny, really rough, yet as flat as it could be, that's where the blade is sharpened, or the sword. Now, when partners sharpen each other, they inspire one another to be sharper so that they can be useful to the army. If you apply that in our church, I'm inspiring everybody to study God's word and to practice it. So we become as a spiritual army in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. I inspire you because we have a mission to fulfill. And then the growth group members inspire one another to study because as the, as the growth group grows in wisdom and knowledge in scripture, there comes a time you cannot talk your way through it if you didn't study. I don't know the level of your growth group, but some growth group, they began with saying everything under the sun from their background, quoting every verse they can think of, but not dealing with the verses itself that we're dealing with. In short, in Filipino, we call them nambobola. Kasi hindi ka nag-aaral kung ano-ano nalang sinasabi mo. But it's not related to the text. But after a while, you feel that everybody's studying except you, then you are forced, well, you are compelled socially to study so that you can contribute something. And uh, that's how a partner, it's like two soldiers or two people in an organization helping one another to be sharper. Uh, 
So let, let me share some application. We can encourage and remind family members. So family members are encouraged, especially siblings may be encouraged. And it's good for siblings to be partners rather than competitors. So, well, it's good to have a friendly competition, but that should not be their driving force because it somehow divides siblings. Instead, we should say, if you are better here, you have to teach the other one. And you, if you know he's better in that area, you should learn from him or her. But on the other hand, he is better or she's better in another aspect, then it's up to you to learn from that person. Because if you create an unfriendly competition, you're creating a lot of space for jealousy to come in. So parents do not, well, before I say it, children forgive us. If somehow we had the mistake of saying you should be like your brother or your sister, we didn't mean to pull you down. What we meant was we were hoping to inspire you. But if your brother or sister is really excellent at something, what we really meant was you can learn from that person. You can learn from your brother or sister. And hopefully when you learn something and you are better in that area, you would be the one to extend the helping hand. And if you honestly know yourself and believe you are not, not as strong in one area, there must be that willingness, hey, how do you do it? Help me. Some people are so good at studying. Their IQ isn't high. They're just good at studying. They have a system. Do you know that? I have some classmates, if you check their IQ, some shoot off the roof. And I have classmates who are just above average but still do better because there's something they have. They have a system of remembering things, a system of study, and they have a system of how they manage their time, a system of discipline. Well, we have to encourage and remind family members. Well, office mates, we may do that. We, we can receive encouragement, so we may improve. Classmates. Uh, I, I love the beauty of classmates if it is made in, within a friendly competition. And that's the beauty of some grading systems or honor systems. Before the honor system was who's number one in the class, who's number two. Some of them still apply it. But when many schools change the honor system, whoever reaches this level is an honor. If they reach any, anywhere between 98 to 100%, they, they come to, so it doesn't matter who's, who's ahead by 0 0.01 point, doesn't matter anymore. And if it's, if it's the battle for the top three, then you fight it out. But if it's all who reach this level is considered an honor, then what do you do? You help one another, and that's the, and I think that's beautiful. When, when we learn to help one another, I always try to make strategic alliances with my classmates. Why? If I'm absent, they can borrow my notes. And if I am absent, I can borrow their notes. So there was this particular class. I made alliances with almost half the class. Can you imagine that? Now, don't think I was absent all the time. <laughs> but that's not far from the truth. It's not all the time. I maximized all the required absences. Okay, but being a pastor, I mean, when I was in college, I was discipling. I have 20 Bible studies a week. That was unhealthy, by the way. 
So I had to make these strategic alliances. So there came a time that it was nearing exam. So I looked for some of my classmates. In UPLB, it's simple. It's just a question of which dorm. Now, if you live in Naga, it's a question of which house. It's harder, right? <laughs> but which dorm? So I just go to the dorm, you look for the names. Oh, they're here. Then you ring them without cell phones before. And I said, can I borrow your notes? Just for a while. So I have the notes, I take notes. And until before the scheduled exam, I'm there 15 minutes, 20 minutes early, outside the door, when my classmates come, can I see your notebook? I look at the notebook. Some notebooks are fantastic. They have colors, they have signs like stars, dynamite. It's wonderfully color-coded that I remembered. But some of them got mad at me after because I got the highest score in the class. <laughs> so, but it's a friendly madness. It's not a, a jealousy madness. It's just like... <laughs> Uh, it's just like, oh, wow, man, how did you do that? Well, I borrowed your notes, <laughs> but not just yours, also hers and him and, and my own notes. So I saw the beauty of learning from many people. So I've proven that since I was college until today. It's a system I use. Um, we have to encourage one another, and as churchmates, we have to learn from one another. Now, uh, the problem with us sometimes, we have a wrong concept of shame. The right concept of shame is that I am ashamed, I'm a sinner, and I need Christ. And we have to feel that. If you haven't felt that, then uh, Christianity or the gospel is just a head knowledge for you. It's not yet heart knowledge. And we need both. If it's a heart knowledge already, then you feel ashamed of your sin. Just one, even if you just lied or gossip, you have to feel ashamed of that, even just once. And the need for Christ is there. Now, that's the right kind of shame. If I do something wrong, there is a right kind of shame, but there's also a shame that is humble to admit I was wrong. Some are ashamed, but does not want the people to, well, you, I'm not saying reveal everything about yourself, but there are certain groups, especially your mentor, you're the one who disciples you, who prays for you. There are some things you have to be able to open so you can receive prayer and even correction. But because we don't like the correction, or some, it's not even a correction. We just don't want the other perspective because we're so in love with our perspective. We turn our, we put so much feeling in our perspective. We invest our feelings there, which should not be. A perspective is a perspective. Write it down. It is a perspective. But once you put, invest too much emotion on a perspective that is not scriptural, by the way, what happens? You easily get offended. You feel uncomfortable with a simple well, let me share to you another perspective or another point of view. Some of us don't like that. And we'll never be sharper if we do, we're like that. We have to be, it's okay. Oh, okay, I was wrong there. Got it, got it. And that's it. It's not, I was wrong there. 
It's not always like that. You don't get depressed of every wrong thing you do because we always make mistakes. Well, hopefully not always. That's a wrong term. We, as humans, will continue to make mistakes, but we will try not to. But we will because of our humanity. But once you accept that you do make mistakes, but you are a follower of Christ, and if you do make a, commit a sin, you will repent of it, seek his forgiveness, turn away from it, and follow him. Once you are sure of that, we can admit it as well, that, hey, Again, I'm not saying you have to be an open book to everybody. Now, some people are like that. Every emotion and feeling is on Facebook. Don't do that. You're revealing all of your weakness to the world. When you're angry, that's a weakness, by the way. If you're impatient, you may think you're showing strength. No, you are showing weakness. If you understand scripture, that is weakness. And because of that, you can actually be manipulated if they know you react in some areas. So don't. Just because you feel it, and you feel satisfied. It didn't do a thing. You just brought yourself lower. But to a group who, a partner who helps sharpen you, that's good. You open up, you pray, you can say, I don't need your advice now. Can you give your advice next week? Because I just want to share. Is that okay? I'm going to share. I'm going to pray. And if you can postpone your advice, maybe not even next week, next month. Just take notes, all right? After I feel better, then you can. You can negotiate, all right? <laughs> now, because some people are quick to advise. And uh, again, children, forgive us parents. We sort of don't want to miss the moment. We call them learning moments. We don't want to miss the moment that we plant that seed or idea in you, but because but it leads us to insensitivity about how you feel at that time. So do forgive us at times. Uh, get a notebook, or if you have a phone, find a space there, a file to save. Lesson one, two, three, four, five. I think my mother realized that I was listening and she would be speaking for hours. And I said, okay, Lord, when will this end? And uh, there's so many life lessons here. Uh, then after a while, I just said, thank you, and I, I leave. But then I prayed, Lord, I cannot endure those long, long discussions. So praise God. My, I think God gave, I believe God gave my mother wisdom. One time I came home, he said, oh, I got some clippings here on an envelope. So instead of talking to me, she said, just read it. <laughs> so praise God. <laughs> we found a system that works for us. That was before. We encourage one another to be sharper. We want them to be sharper, but we must also receive it. And if we willingly submit ourselves to others and say, what do you think now? Trying not to put your emotion in your creation. Take note. You're in a journey to create, like for me, an excellent sermon every Sunday. I put my heart into it in the sense that I put my effort into it. But in terms of investing too much emotion, if somebody checks it, 
I've checked that as well. It's okay for me because I'm in a journey to keep getting better so I can serve more people better. So that's okay because the goal is very clear with me. But if I don't care if I improve, I'm just emotional about it, then I will not improve. And take note, that's why some businesses, assuming there's no pandemic and everything's normal, you know why some businesses will continue to grow? Because they try to keep finding out what the customers think and feel about them. But those who do not and get so sensitive about it, they don't ask people, what do you think? I've been here for several years, six or seven, and there are very few people here who ask me, what do I think? And can accept the brutal and kind words I have. Very few. Usually I have to give my unsolicited advice because I feel like some are, are going to suffer. But the very few, I praise God that some of us, the Lord has blessed very well, and we pray that it will continue. Uh, and then a lot of you, you know that I ask a lot of questions when I'm with you because I'm interested. If I sense you do have an expertise or I want to hear your story, I let you talk and talk and talk and talk. And if I can't make you talk, I'll find a way to make you talk so I can listen and listen because that helps me. It sharpens me. There are things I don't know in the world, a lot of things I don't know in the world, and it's not only about the Bible, it's about other things. It helps. So we must see the community as a necessity to sharpen ourselves. So uh, look at your small group. They're there to sharpen you. You're not there just to grandstand and you feel so emotional. I just want to say what you've been going through. That's part of it, yeah. But it's really to listen and to share both ways as we sharpen one another. Now, God never meant for believers to isolate themselves into their private corners. Instead, God intended for us to grow together in the knowledge of the word. So one application is partners. And I mentioned church mates, family, classmates, or in the same team sharpening one another. That is very important. So that's one perspective. Your peer, your co-equal, your co-equal sharpening each other. So this, this uh, verse, well, they said Proverbs was collected somewhere in uh, 700 BC, but the Proverbs may have lasted for a long time. So many say that this was during the Iron Age. And during the Iron Age, when they make swords, they, they melt them, yes, but not like what you see today, like fully melted metal, right? They do melt them enough to put these twisted swords together or metal together, and then they, they do a hammering, okay? And then they try to make it sharper. So, uh, as I mentioned, iron, the other iron that can sharpen a knife or a sword is an iron file, not necessarily sword to sword, because sword to sword in battle will not make it sharper. But sword to sword, side to side, will help its shape, but not necessarily make it sharper, or it will take so long to make it sharper. 
Now, the other perspective, which is fresh to me when I did some reading about this, is the enemy. The enemy. And yeah, I, I read one journal article that gives a perspective. It's the enemy. Iron sharpens iron. One perspective could be the enemy. No, the enemy doesn't sharpen it when you clash swords with the enemy. It help, It sharpens it when you sharpens it when you prepare. It motivates you to sharpen because you're going to face the enemy. So another perspective is the enemies. Now enemies sharpen their swords for the battle to clash swords. The sharpening happens before the battle. Now imagine enemies today as challenges that inspire us to sharpen our skills and focus. Sharpen our skills and focus. I think in one, I'd like to share this in one of my youth fellowship, small group, uh, the Uproar Brothers. We had a session of not discussing this text because they already discussed it in their small groups. It was just a session of, let's talk about life. And one of them, of them asked, I'm having a challenge. His challenge was studying his course. He's having a hard time with all the mathematics in his course. And I said, what's your course? And uh, it has something to do with electronics. So I said, have you been fascinated about electronics? It's hard to be fascinated with math if you don't know the purpose. But if you have a fascination for electronics, why not start fixing some first? Fix a phone, a computer, or something. See how it works. Look at the parts. See if you can assemble one. I mean, just try. Because once you're fascinated with it, now you have a purpose, you have a challenge. And now you understand that each of these math subjects will relate to that. Instead of saying, I don't see the connection of this. No, there is a connection. Somebody designed that course. Somebody with a PhD designed that course. It may not be perfect, but somebody did design that course, and there is a use for that. Now, your enemy here could be yourself or the subject matter or the subject you're facing but treat it as a challenge so that you will sharpen yourself. Uh, how do we use this in application? Uh, one is problems. You see problems uh, as enemies that you must be sharpened. If there's a problem, you know, one of the worst things you can do with a problem is ignore it. You have to pray for it and trust God. That's not ignoring it. But then you have to seek God and ask for wisdom, Lord, how do we solve this problem? But if the problem, again, if it's too emotional for you, you'll have a hard time solving it. I am pro-emotion because God gave us emotions, but I am pro-management of emotion in terms of how we use emotion. So, use problems, challenges, and even competition if you have a real competition. If you're in sports, definitely there's competition. And use it as motivation to increase your focus, your determination, and your growth. Now, the enemy, aside from those challenges, could come in the form of people, situations, and even enemies on the internal or internal factors. And that could be within you. I always believe my greatest enemy is not Satan, but myself. The part of me that is undisciplined, the part of me that loves pleasure, that loves, that's lazy, 
the part of me that just wants to enjoy life and not work. That part of me I treat as an enemy. Now, I'm not saying to enjoy life is bad. No, please, don't get me wrong. I'm saving, saying in excess of what is accepted, that is wrong. But some of us don't face the problem because we reason out, because I don't know what to do. And that's the point. If you don't know what to do, how will you know what to do? Then there is the question. What should you study? Who should you ask? Proverbs keeps saying, in a multitude, many counselors, a plan succeeds. But if you trust in your own understanding, it's limited. My knowledge of the world is limited. I need the knowledge of others around me or even far away from me if they are experts in a certain field. Sometimes it's not necessarily the expert. It's somebody with a little more experience than me can already help. Just a few years ahead of me in a certain area, that can already help. And that is very important. Even raising kids, I acknowledge I don't have all the knowledge, even though I'd like to say I have read more books on family than on prayer. Before I had a family, I kept reading everything. Every book I can have a handle on on family, I've read Yet as I listen to others, still there is much to learn. But yet I see parents who seem to know everything. They seem to do everything without even asking for prayer or consultation. Oh no, my friend, you are not that wise. You're not that intelligent, so don't act like it. In the major decisions I have to face, uh, we have to face as a family, I cannot limit it to my knowledge. I seek the knowledge of others. Others can see things better than me. You know why? Because naturally we can't see everything. And that is, we, we see that now. I can see your eyes, but you can't see yours without a mirror. You can see my posture, and some people keep saying to me, Brother Ed, one shoulder always goes down. Now, I don't even know what shoulder, so sometimes I over-exaggerate, so it goes lower some more. But I can't see myself, but you can. We can't all see our backs. In fact, there's a saying, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, because there's a part of the back we can't reach. Well, there are gadgets for it, right, to scratch. <laughs> I don't know if you have that at home, but we don't know everything. Now, we should take note of our spiritual enemies, going back to the topic, the flesh, the world, and the devil. These are spiritual enemies. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Let us sharpen our spiritual senses and our spiritual knowledge on dealing with spiritual issues. And that's why we study the Bible here in our church community. Every problem should inspire us to improve, not the other way around. If the problem drives you to paralysis, you know what, I don't mean literal paralysis, you can't move, but a point where you, you don't do anything because you don't know. Well, you can do something by start building your knowledge about the problem and finding those who are better than you to help you decide on the problem. You still make the final decisions, it's your life, but you have to listen to those who can give you several perspectives 
And usually when I have three or even more, I like it. I have three perspectives on the issue, one, two, three. And then, then I can think of how I can connect it. Or if I can get more than three perspectives on a certain issue, how to solve it, then I will prioritize. But it's in a continuous consultation. In the end, I make the decisions because I'm the only one to be blamed. That's part of leadership at the home. I consult my wife often, almost always, if not always. But in the end, as the leader of the home, I make the decision so after consulting her, how it will affect her, taking note of her, her issues, especially her emotional perspective about it. And once I have it, I have more comfort in making the decision because I have taken things into consideration. Like moving here was a major decision, but every child had to be consulted. There are spiritual enemies if we don't go back to point number one, our partners. And facing the spiritual enemies alone, we can never stand. God never designed us to fight the enemies alone. If you don't even know you have enemies, well, this is a first for you. Because you're within the enemy, that's why you don't feel that the devil is your enemy or the world is your enemy because you're so comfortable with it. You treat it as a friend. When I say the world, please take note, I'm talking of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I do not expand it more than that. Otherwise, I'll be like a Pharisee, saying something is sin when it is not sin. And I will become a legalist. I judge every person that does not hold my perspective. And that's a legalist. That doesn't mean I do not fight for certain things. I do when it is crystal clear in Scripture. I do. Now, if you fight for something so hard, which is not crystal clear, you're wasting so much energy and mind and emotion. Do we have to debate certain things that are so shallow? Really? If we invest more time winning the toughest sinners on the planet, we have no time to discuss certain issues that are so minor. Brother Ed, you said something a while ago in the preaching. I was so offended. I said, oh my, you were offended by that. Now, of course, I didn't say that, but within me comes an internal dialogue to create self-control. <laughs> so I do not say something that hopefully may not offend, but sometimes I fail. And I have to say, please grow up. Have you tried reaching an addict and a drunkard? And I'm still processing them from getting out of that problem. And you're bugging me with your judgmentalism. Have you tried doing that? How many have you won to the Lord? How many have you reversed the habit? How many do you know how long it takes sometimes? Sometimes it takes forever. And if a pastor tries to do that, you do not interfere. You support. So throw your judgmentalism out. I don't need it. Some would be so judgmental. I saw somebody drinking alcohol. I said, look, you got your, forgive me for saying this, 
you have not fully given up your idolatry because it was okay for you to enter to have a marriage in an idolatrous church. And then you're judging that? Look back, friend. And I try to be patient with you as well. Now, going back to my friendly side again. I love you all. If you feel internal paralysis, chill, pray, sleep, refresh your mind, forget the problem for a day if you can. Once you have it, open a notebook, get counsel, fill that notebook with possible situations, but never go with the flow without making, without analyzing. If you go with the flow, though, there's a saying, only the dead fish go with the flow of the current. Those who are fish that are alive go where they want to. Of course, sometimes when the current is so strong, but most fish can fight the current and should fight the current. Seek, pray, seek encouragement and guidance from other believers. Now, there are enemies. If you are, your life is so easy right now, praise God, I encourage you to find the challenge. And if you're retired and you have no nagging boss telling you what to do, waking you up in the morning. I had a sister one time drive me to Legaspi to the airport and she said, I can bring you there because that's my round. She's promoting medicine. She visits doctors. So when she was driving there, I said, look, I'm really sleepy. Can I just sleep? I hope you don't mind me. I'm supposed to be ethically having a conversation with you, but I, I feel so sleepy, so I slept. Then I woke up to a voice of somebody in the phone, not on speaker mode, but the voice was so loud. And then I said, who is, who is that? Oh, it's nothing. It's breakfast. What do you mean breakfast? My boss calls me in the morning. <laughs> and he... he always gets mad, or most of the time gets mad, and he cons she considers it breakfast. <laughs> oh, okay, that's how your boss wants you to meet the quota by not giving, you know, every morning. I wonder how many people the boss calls, you know, how many medrips are there that he would give breakfast to? Uh, well, that's fine. Breakfast is better than dinner. Because dinner, you want to go home and you still carry that. At least it's no longer there. No, so number two would be enemies. Number three would be a mentor. A nail file, or not a nail file, sorry. <laughs> a nail file sharpens nails. <laughs> but, uh, or shapes nails. I'm sorry, uh, an iron file sharpens swords or knives. Again, we're saying we're in the context of the Iron Age. All right, that's why I'm using these terms. Now, the mentor... Another perspective is that the person acts as a teacher, mentor, or even a coach to another person. Now, let me just quickly distinguish between the mentor and coach as I would distinguish it. Uh, the mentor usually has knowledge that you need, and most teachers are mentors if you don't know what, what they're teaching. Now, a coach may not necessarily teach you every, new things. They might teach you a few good things, new things, but not necessarily. The coach gets you to practice and sharpen the skills. Of course, some of them teach you the basics. Now, if you already know the basics, they don't repeat that to you. They just remind you. 
And then they make you practice. How do you shoot? How do you dribble? What's the form? When you're in a team, he creates a strategy for motion and passing. And uh, so the coach is not necessarily a better player than the player. But the coach keeps you on track and designs something with you. It's just like Freddie Roach and Manny Pacquiao. We cannot say that Freddie Roach is a better boxer. Pacquiao is a better boxer than Freddie Roach. When Roach was younger, he was a boxer. He never reached the same level as uh, Senator Manny Pacquiao. By the way, I didn't mention that because I'm involved in politics. Okay, I'm using it as an example, all right? So please don't mistake me, though uh, he is in my prayer, but I'm praying for all candidates that the Lord would give us the right one, right? So, so we need mentors, we need coaches, we need teachers, and some of them can be a great blessing to us. At one point, I was called business coach by some of my clients. I'm a consultant, but they have called me coach because I mentioned to them, I cannot be your mentor because you know more than me about your business, but I know business, and I know something about leadership and business, and I can help you in that aspect. So many of them have called me coach, more of a management or business coach, but it's actually consultant. Now, many do not maximize this blessing. You know, they can come, the, the blessings of mentor, coach, and teacher can come in the form of parents, pastors, professors, and even growth group leaders. Well, especially growth group leaders. Absorb all the wisdom you can. In fact, draw it from them. How? By asking the right questions. Do you know that, again, there's a saying that, you know, wisdom is not all about knowing all the right answers. It's not really about that, but it's asking the right questions. But if you have no question, it's because you have no curiosity. Those who are curious tend to ask more. Those who want more tend to ask how. Uh, so, but without that, uh, there is just nothing. You just want a problem to be, be, to be fixed without seeking the wisdom. That doesn't work that way. In fact, if you look at James 1, there's one thing that's guaranteed that God will answer if you ask it without doubt, if you ask in faith, and that's wisdom. James 1, read it, especially in dealing with temptation or persecution, how to endure. When you're filled with so much persecution about your faith or problems because of your faith, don't just break down and be depressed. What we can do by God's grace, he is good and he is gracious. Go to James 1, seek wisdom. And read your Bible, especially the wisdom books, to understand how. Do you know that some of us really need wisdom even in discipling others? Some of us can't maintain disciples. Sometimes it's just wisdom. The wisdom of what? How to talk, when to talk, how to listen how to be more interested in them than you being more interested in speaking. Getting to that point is necessary. And with a mentor, you learn that. 
But when you have mentors, it's not only what they say, it's also what you observe in them. But many do not maximize this blessing. Well, again, we go back to what I said earlier. Perhaps it's because they don't like correction. Some have an imagination of enjoying sports until they met the coach, the real coach. <laughs> the real coach makes you work. And he keeps saying, again. But you just want to play, because it's fun to play. Yeah, you will play, but the drills first, again. And again, I took boxing lessons before, and it's no fun. It's only fun when they're putting out the mitts. It's exciting. But if they just say, face the bag, <laughs> face the bag and stay there for 40 minutes, keep hitting the bag, that's no fun. Well, if you're disappointed with life, it's good to hit the bag, by the way. Uh, instead of getting mad at others, if you don't have control yet, invest in a punching bag, invest in good gloves, and invest some training. It will even sharpen your boxing, even help protect yourself. But again, that's a side note. Now, some don't like correction. Some imagine it would be nice to have a mentor, but when you have the correction, they only like the honeymoon part of the mentor, which is only kind words, but after a while the mentors say, you will not improve unless you do this. Then it's no longer fun. But some of us will still consider it as fun and a blessing. Now, some don't like mentors because uh, we are so stubborn at times. We don't want to be corrected. You know how we reason out, ganito na ako eh. Yeah, yeah, a certain point, yes, ganito tayo, but Scripture always and the Holy Spirit should and will transform us into Christ, meaning there will be changes, and that is good. Now, please get out of your, remove from your mind. This is who I am until I die. Then, then I pity you because you'll never grow. You want to stay that way? you will not improve then. No, but if you say, by God's grace, I'll be better by God's grace. I'll be kinder by God's grace. Or I'll be making better decisions by God's grace. When you make a bad decision, you don't stop making decisions. <laughs> Some do that. They stop making decisions. No, you just have to learn how to decide. Do you know that there are different frameworks? Frameworks on decision making. And you just have to learn those. But because we don't know, we decide emotionally. Boom. But they make decisions. Well, at one point, the apostles could not decide who will replace Judas. So they applied something from, from Proverbs since they b believed both were qualified. So what did they do? You remember? Nagbunutan sila. Okay. I think it's the same when in an election, if it's equal number at the end, they just flip a coin. Because both of you tend to be just winners anyway. Let's just flip a coin. Now, some don't like mentors because perhaps, what? We're not capable 
of engaging in dialogue. We're not capable of engaging, talking back and forth. You think if you share another perspective, people will be offended. Not always. If you just share, uh, will you allow me? You ask permission, will you allow me to share a different perspective? It's fine. Usually, a mature mentor will say, sure, that's interesting. Let's hear that. And um, that's one of the habits we have here in church. If there's a difficult passage, we share to you the different perspectives we have discovered through study. And some of which we will allow you. It's up to you to decide which you see. And we will share to you where we lean at, where we believe there's more evidence. Well, some will not pursue mentors because they're not capable of the dialogue. Because it's not okay to be wrong for you, or it hurts to be wrong. But if it's okay for you to listen to another perspective that is not your own and you're open to it, to improve your life, your spiritual life, your family life, your professional life, your business, the dialogue is important. Now, does it, that, it doesn't mean that the mentor is always right. That's why it's a dialogue. But the opposite, on the other hand, some pursue mentors intently. <laughs> they really want to pursue a mentor. Why they desire to understand other perspectives other than their own. Because it widens and gives you a wide perspective on things. So iron sharpens iron, and we as a community must sharpen one another. It's not necessarily sword to sword at one time. The other functions as the iron file, and vice versa. And if there are enemies, it should motivate us to sharpen our skills and our focus and determinations. If there are challenges, and if we have mentors. Oh, by the way, many of us have suspended our we have suspended our growth group. Some growth groups have, uh, but will be restored early January. Do enjoy yourselves without the face of your growth group leader for a, for a change. But do pray blessing upon them. And as I close, I share to you, after I made the sermon and my son printed it last night, he said to me, uh, Father, yes, there's no poem. Oh dear, yeah. So last night, I scrambled for a poem. I said, Lord, so late at night, I was doing the da 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 looking for the rhymes and looking for the meanings. Now I share it to you. It's called Iron Sharpens Iron. It says, Iron Sharpens Iron, written perhaps in Mount Zion. A man sharpens another man. Let us make that part of the plan. What meaning does it hold for us? It's something we should discuss. Partners and friends may sharpen us. Let's do it without a fuss. Enemies, enemies too can do the same. From dull blades to sharp ones became. Prepare to cross swords in battle, a sharp countenance to rattle. Yet mentors too sharpen the blade. They help your ignorance to fade. Coaches train and sharpen your skills. They make you climb the highest hills. 
Be so sharp, O men and women. Find the iron that will sharpen. Seek a mentor or godly friend. With them in wisdom do ascend. Church members should be like iron. With the courage of the lion. Souls sharpened to fight enemies invading their territories. The gospel will shine so brightly. And as we pray unceasingly, warriors of light will press on because Christ has already won. Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Teach us, Lord, to pause and not to be impulsive in our decisions. To stop for a while and to pray and to seek the wisdom of your word. And to listen to others. Others with wisdom, Lord. Not just any person, but those with godly wisdom. Counselors, as they call them. Because they give wise counsel. Surround us with people who can give us wise counsel. We thank you for the church community, for all the growth group leaders and all the members, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, and every one of us, every volunteer, and those, those who just who come and attend. In scripture, we grow, yet even in life, there are things in life that we know better than others. Give us that heart and that generosity to share. On the other hand, give us a heart that learns. For that is the meaning of a disciple, a learner. First, a learner of you, but also a follower. To follow what you teach. We wish to learn and follow what you teach. Yet even in earthly responsibilities, allow us to sharpen one another. That we may be a church community that serves you. Humble enough to learn from you. And to learn from your body, the church community. And that we may be a blessing to many, especially in the proclamation of the gospel and the making of disciples of you. Disciples following your heart, following your teachings, following your word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning. <laughs>